excited to, to share with you today, but I, I am going to uh, probably ruffle a little feathers today. I'm going to challenge you guys. You guys want to be challenged today? You know, you're here to grow, so if we're going to grow in our faith, usually there's some tension involved, right? And so uh, we're going we're gonna to embrace that tension today a little bit, and uh, I believe you're going to be challenged and encouraged today, and it's going to be a really, really great day. So that being said, let's jump right in. I want to read my text verse this morning. If you guys will stand with me, please, as we honor God's Word together. I'm reading out of James, and anytime you read out of James, you know there's, some, uh, there's a punch between the, in the teeth coming. So, uh, James 3, verses 13 to 16. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So my question for you today is, do you have selfish ambition in your life? The title of my message is just simply Selfish Christianity. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time that we have together, God. Thank you for your presence in this place and in our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would do what only you can do over these next few minutes in our hearts. God, I pray that my words would be your words, that our hearts would be open to hear your truth today, God, and that it would make us better. Lord, that we would not leave this place the same way we came in this morning. And we thank you for it. We give you all the glory, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Praise God. You can be seated. So we're doing this series that we started in September called Under Construction. We're going to finish it this month, but uh, we're taking a little different uh, angle this month. Last month, it was more about the, the building blocks of faith and what those building blocks look like as we take those and make them part of our life in our faith and how it affects us. And in October, what we're going to do is look at how that building of our faith, how that outworks in our life. And uh, today... To kind of start it off, uh, I want to talk to you about selflessness, about serving others, and the, the fact that as we build our faith, as we grow in our faith, it propels and compels us to serve others, to live a life of selflessness. Now, this is one of those subjects, though, that uh, it's, it's almost easier to make our point if we actually talk about the opposite of selflessness, which would be selfishness, which is why the title of my message is Selfish. Christianity, which is really kind of oxymoronic because uh, selfish Christianity doesn't make any sense because Christianity is the, it's the epitome, it's the, the lighthouse, if so to speak, of selflessness. But yet it is such a prevalent issue among us, right? Selfishness is something that you don't, you're not taught, uh, you don't have to learn it, uh, you're born with it. We know that, right? You, you take a, uh, a binky out of a baby's mouth, they'll let you know if they want it, right? And they're not going to hesitate. <laughs> At least most of them don't. Um, we want what we want when we want it. That's something that's innate in all of us, right? And it's, it's really, really prevalent even in the church. And that's not something new. It's not just today. It's not this generation where we see it in the church. It's been that way from the beginning of the church. In fact, you can go all the way back to the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ that started in the book of Acts. 
And you see how when, when the Holy Spirit came into the earth and, and was filling the men and the women of God and, and they were walking around in the power of the Spirit and people were getting saved so fast, they literally did not know what to do with everybody because there were so many salvations. People getting healed, set free, delivered, all kinds of incredible stuff happening. And what was also happening in the midst of that was a ton of generosity. You were seeing generosity in the church. The Bible says in the book of Acts that that disciples were literally selling some of their property or all of their property or their houses and things like that. And they would literally bring the money from that sale, not keep it for themselves, not just give 10% of it to the church. They literally went and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, do whatever you want to do with it to help expand the kingdom of God. Unbelievable generosity, unprecedented, and probably has never happened anything like that since then where it was just so common for them to do that because they wanted to see the kingdom of God go because these people had been changed so so wholeheartedly. They had such radical conversions that they wanted to see it continue to sweep throughout the earth. And so they were doing these incredible generous things. But even in the midst of that, there was this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And many of you know who they are. They were a couple, they loved God. In fact, they, they loved God so much and they saw what was happening. They went and sold off part of their property. And they brought the money and they laid it at the disciples' feet, just like everybody else did. The difference with them was that they kept some of the money for themselves, but they told the apostles that this was everything they got for the land. Now, the irony of all that is that this was not a requirement. Nobody was saying you guys have to sell your land and give us all your money. It was totally done by their own free will. But they wanted to look more spiritual than they were, I guess. For whatever reason, they were, they were following maybe even some peer pressure where they were saying, well, we wanted to think that we gave it all when really they held some of it back because of selfishness. It's selfishness that caused them to hold it back. It, it, it even says that they only just sold a piece of their property. It wasn't like they sold everything they had, probably some extra land that he had that he sold so that he could give some money. Yet they kept some for themselves. So selfishness, even in the midst of generosity, is always trying to get its foot in the door. And if you know the story, you know that they were dealt with very harshly. God struck them both down and they died in that, in that place. Incredible uh, display of the power of God and how in the early church especially that there was no place for the selfishness or the deceit that was going on at that time. But selfishness is always something that has been incredibly prevalent in society and in the church. You know, self is the center of the universe. And they say that uh, the number one uh, law of nature for humans is self-preservation. First and foremost, beyond anything else, our human nature is to preserve our life. And you know that. We, we know how to, you don't have to be taught how to react to something. If something's going to hurt you, you're going to recoil away from it. Everything we do is about preserving our life, right? Which is fine. That's how we're designed. We, we want to live, right? But, but that can also be a catalyst into living a completely selfish life too. Self-preservation can feed selfishness in our life and make us want to be that more than anything else in our life. And not only that, the, the cell phones and social media have really exasperated selfishness in our generation. You know, we're known as the selfie generation. You know, the, camera, the phone companies are making the selfie camera the one that faces you. They're making it better with every generation because they want us to take more selfies. And, and uh, we're seeing it's never been easier to promote yourself than it is today. In fact, someone said that uh, man's best friend has been replaced. It's no longer a dog, it's now self. And some of that is probably because of our cell phones and the, the ability we have to promote ourselves. It's so common out there. It's so easy to be about yourself in life. And COVID-19 was another thing that really accelerated it, right? For, for a season, we were literally told by doctors, really smart people, to just take care of yourself. 
right? Don't, don't go help anybody. Don't, don't be out there in the community. Just circle your wagons and just take care of yourself. It was like we were being commanded by smart people to be selfish. <laughs> and for a minute, some of us, many of us probably actually enjoyed that. And it, it kind of became something where we didn't have to worry about doing things for other people. We were just able to take care of ourselves, right? And the interesting thing about that is that the ones that have been the most concerned about being safe during COVID, not all of them, but a lot of the people that I've met that I know were the most concerned about being safe and were really, really careful and really picky about making sure they did everything right, those were also the people that were the most fearful. And the reason for that is because the promise that selfishness gives us, if I will just take care of myself, I'll be secure and safe, that's a lie. Because that's not really how it is. Because we're not designed to be that way in our life. We're not designed just to be about ourselves. And I'm not, I'm not giving anybody a hard time if you were having to be safe because you had a, a family member that was uh, compromised and you had to be really careful. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about the fear that can overtake us when we're just about ourselves, because we're not designed to be that way. In fact, the more focused we are on ourselves, the more fear we'll have. The more focused we are on ourselves, the more depressed we will be. The more focused we are on ourselves, the more insecure we are. I'll say this too, the, the, the people that, that share the most selfies are typically the most insecure people. Now, I don't say that to beat anybody up, but if that's you, that, there's a good chance that that's, it's an insecurity being displayed in promoting ourself. That's a, that's a rule for life. That's not something that's new with social media. That's been that way forever. If you're trying to promote yourself, a lot of times it comes from a place of insecurity because we're not designed to just promote ourselves. We're not designed to be focused on ourselves because it, it allows those, those weaknesses in our life, those things that we tend to fall into, it allows those things to become magnified and, and elevated in our life. And in the church, is no, there's no exemption. We're, we're just as susceptible to it. I, I said that in the first service, I said that uh, selfishness is an equal opportunity employer. It does not discriminate. It doesn't care if you're a Christian. In fact, a lot of times it makes it more challenging because as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit and we know better than to live that way, right? The, the world, society has an excuse. They don't, they don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit showing us and, and revealing to us that we are not to be about ourselves. that our faith is not about our own selfish ambitions, that really when we live a life of faith with selfish ambition, that it is the devil's playground. It is a place for all evil acts to come out of our life because we're not designed to be just about ourselves. You know, it's interesting because I, uh, I, I talk to a lot of pastors and we talk about church work all the time. I, I'm one of those people, the, the worst thing for us, I think, or for me, uh, is that it's for New Hope to be on an island where we're just our own body and we don't care about anybody else. That's just not who we are. And so I'm always, I meet with pastors every week. Um, I meet with a group of pastors that we pray together every week. We pray for each other's churches. We pray for uh, the CSRA, that God would bring revival and spiritual awakening. We, we really, we talk about our churches and then I go to conferences too. I was at a conference this past week with other pastors. I just love collaborating with other pastors and talking to other men and women that are, that are doing what we are doing and that understand what, you know, kind of the struggles that we have. And it's nice to, to be able to talk to people like that. And what I'm finding overwhelmingly from pastors, the biggest struggle that they have in the church as a whole, without question, without, I mean, to a, to a person, is that they can't get people to serve in church, especially since COVID. Now, pre-COVID, it it's always been a challenge to get people to serve in church, right? They say that 10% of the people in your church will do 90% of the work. Pre-COVID, it was challenging. 
Post-COVID, it almost feels impossible because we have gotten into that place of selfishness. We've gotten into that place where COVID told us, just be selfish, don't do anything. Just, you have to, or else you might die, right? And so we got into that mindset and that's really our human nature is to be that way. So now it's really hard to get out of that mindset. And we have to really go after God to help, to ask him to help give us perspective, help him to, or ask him to help us to be able to walk out our faith the way he would want us to, not based on what we feel right now. And listen, this is not a sermon about trying to get people to sign up for our dream team. I mean, of course, we always need people to serve. There's always, there's never, we've never had too many. We don't know what we're going to do with all these people. <laughs> that's never been a problem. But that's not what this is about today. I, I'm talking about living a lifestyle of serving others. Living a lifestyle of selflessness in every aspect of our life, not just when you're at church on a Sunday morning. And living that lifestyle. The funny thing is that selfishness is a form of entertainment in our life. We entertain ourselves with our selfishness. It's something we actually can enjoy, and it's, it's really dangerous because we can become hooked on being selfish. And when we are, we're actually hooked on the thing that's actually making us miserable. More people are miserable now since COVID than ever before. And it's not because of COVID. It's because we have learned to be selfish. We have learned to just be about us, me and mine. And you might say, well, you know, I, no, I, I, you know, I really, I give a lot to my family. You have to give to your family. I'm not talking about just you and you're living in a, in a cave all by yourself, but I'm talking about just being selfish with the people that are the closest to you. It's what makes us miserable. It's when we're just about ourselves. We are designed by our creator and with the spirit of God in you, we are designed to live outwardly. We are not to have selfish ambitions in our faith. And this selfishness comes in many forms. I'll give you a few of them real quick. It comes in the form of self-admiration, where we just love ourselves so much we don't have room to really love God or love others. You might say, well, that's not me. I hate myself. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that doesn't mean you don't have self-admiration. Self-admiration is about being completely focused on yourself. Self-admiration isn't just the person that stares at a mirror for four hours a day because they're just overwhelmed by how beautiful they are. It's those that are just all about themselves. It's so, so easy to do. 1 Corinthians 13 is the chapter of love, right? Most of us know that chapter, at least some verses out of it. We probably know how it starts. Let me read a couple of verses out of it. Verses four and five, it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. That's a big one in there that we would probably like to knock out of there if we could, but it says it love, real love, the way that God has designed it for us is not self-seeking, it is selfless. Uh, C.S. Lewis was quoted as saying that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. We can get so consumed with ourself and it is a recipe for misery in our life, especially as a follower of Christ because it is going completely against what God would want for us. Philippians 2, Paul's talking about love again. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See a theme here. You know, if you do a search on verses that talk about uh, uh, not, not being about yourself, helping, living for other people too, uh, being selfless, you'll find countless. I mean, I could have 
I could have just stood up here and not even talked other than just reading scripture out of the Bible about the, God's call for us to be selfless, and it would have filled up the whole time. It's, it's all through the word. It is God's plan for each and every one of us. It also leads us to self-indulgence. That's another, that's another way it manifests in our life, selfishness. It's a self-indulgence, which is where you just give in to all your cravings, all your urges, all your desires. You just feed the monster, right? And we get, the, we caught, get caught in that trap of feeling like, if I feed the monster enough, it'll be satisfied. The monster is never, ever satisfied. The monster just wants more and more and more and more. Selfishness just wants more and more and more. You will never quench the selfishness in your life, church. It has to be dealt with, okay? You're never gonna say, man, if I could just, if I could just do what I wanna do for a month, I'll be good to go. No, you'll be worse off than you've ever been. And it'll be harder than ever for you to, stay, to come back from that because that's how it works in our life. First Corinthians 10, Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Again, it just goes on and on and on and on. Here's the deal. When it comes to self-indulgence, as a follower of Jesus, church, we have to say no a lot. We have to say no. Where so many of us get in, get in error and get caught up and get miserable in our faith is when we are trying to have faith in Jesus, but still always say yes. And you can't do it. You can't do it. There are things, if you're going to follow Jesus, there are things you're going to have to leave behind. It's just a fact. If you, we, sh we should all have people in our life that are not saved because we should all be reaching out to people that we know that are not saved and being a witness to them, being a, an example of Jesus to them, right? But those people are going to be able to say yes to things that you can't say yes to. Not if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus. We don't get to self-indulge. We don't get to just follow our urges and our desires and do what everybody else is doing and still say, I love Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you love me, it's going to look a certain way. And you're going to have to say no to things in your life that you might want to say yes to. Your flesh is going to want to say yes. And the more, you know, the older you get, usually the more you say no, the easier it is to say no. I know for you young guys, it's hard to say no. But you build up that stamina when you say no and you start to, you focus your mind and your heart and your, your love on Jesus and on others. It has a major impact in your life. Another one is self-sufficiency or self-confidence. This is one that's actually celebrated. This is a selfishness in our society that is celebrated and worshiped, really. For people that can be completely independent, they don't need, they don't need anybody. If I, you know, if I want people in my life, that's one thing, but I don't need anything because I'm independent, All right? That's just a selfishness because we're not designed to be self-sufficient self either, All right? And this is a tough one for me, I'll be honest with you. This is a challenge for me because I was, I'm wired in such a way that I'm incredibly independent. My mom told, used to tell me that by the time I could walk, I was like, I, I let her know in a hurry. I'll let you know if I need you. Like I was incredible. She said I was the most independent human she'd ever known. And it started very, very young. And that's still my wiring today where I just like to do things. I like to figure things out. I don't want to, if I ask for help, sometimes it can feel like a sign of weakness for me. Now I resist that and I'll still ask for help because I know that that's necessary and it's important because if I don't, it's really just pride. But there's a self-sufficiency in some of us where we can celebrate the fact that we are self-sufficient. And God says, no, that's not how you're supposed to be because spiritually speaking, if you're self-sufficient, what that becomes is self-righteousness. 
And self-righteousness is, is the exact opposite of what faith in Jesus looks like. Because your self-righteousness is worthless in faith. Jesus, uh, Paul said in Philippians 3, he talks about how he was the, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He was flawless. And, but he tells us to put no confidence in the flesh. He said, I, I, all of that means nothing. All of it is nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Our self-righteousness is nothing. The Bible tells us in, in Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. Our righteousness will never be good enough. Yet it is something that's celebrated in this, in this culture and in our life today, but it's contrary to what God wants for us. And then finally, self-pity. And this is one, I'm, I'm just kind of making the, giving this an honorable mention. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but self-pity is something that, that many of us have to deal with in our life. You feel bad, you don't like yourself, you feel sorry for yourself because of what's going on in your life, whatever it might be. It could be completely legitimate things. You start to feel sorry for yourself and you kind of get consumed with that. That's just another form of selfishness. That's all that is. And it's, it's, it's pain that, is, that can be devastating in our life, but the way we internalize it as self-pity is just making us about ourselves. It's our own selfish ambition. It becomes how we identify with ourselves. It's who I am. I'm just somebody that just doesn't like myself and I like to self-deprecate and I like to do things that tear myself down and make myself feel bad about myself. That's selfishness. It's, that's all it is. And it's contrary to what God would want for you and in your life. Here's the deal, church. Selfishness is a spiritual issue. Okay? It is a spiritual issue for those of us, especially for those of us that would call ourselves Christians today. It is, it's, a spiritual, it's a spiritual issue, and it needs to be dealt with spiritually. Don't, try to, don't, don't listen to what I say today and think, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be less selfish. I'm definitely going to try that. I'm going I'm to work hard. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going to be less selfish. You might, it might work for a couple days, but you're probably going back into old habits because this is a spiritual issue. You need supernatural perspective from a supernatural God to deal with selfishness in your life because it permeates every area of our lives, every area. There's no area in your life where it's just your nature to not be selfish. That's just not how we're made. So we have to deal with it spiritually. We have to let the Spirit of God do His work in our hearts to make us selfless, to make us more like Him in our life. The self-consumed life is something that we actually need to be set free from. We need to be set free from being self-consumed, church. And I'm, I know how difficult it is. I, I'm not standing up here as somebody that's completely conquered it and saying, hey, just follow Christ as I follow Christ. I'm not saying that. I was studying this this week and I was just as convicted as if somebody was preaching it to me. Because I, I, there are areas in my life that I know I deal with just wanting my way and wanting to do things my way and wanting to take care of myself and have my time and, and my stuff and my things and whatever. It's something we all have to deal with in our life. And it's a sin that we will condone in our life because it's not, as, it's not as scandalous as some other sins, right? It's just, I mean, everybody deals with it, so it's just not that big a deal. So we just kind of try to manage it. I just want to be less selfish than the guy that's sitting beside me. As long as I'm less selfish than that person, I feel good about myself. And the reality is, you're not going to be comparing yourself to that person sitting beside you when you stand before God. He's going to look at us and how we dealt with the stuff in our life compared to what the Word of God tells and how we're supposed to live out this life. So it's time to see it and treat it for what it really is. And frankly, church, if we remember 
who we are and where we came from and what we really deserve and what Jesus has actually done for us, it's almost impossible to live a self-centered life. If you're really focused on what he's done, if you really have experienced his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in your life, if he's really canceled that debt of sin in your life and you remember it and you live your life that way, it's almost impossible to live a self-centered life and not be under the conviction of God. Unless you have forgotten your first love. Unless you have totally forgotten what he has done for you and you're just kind of doing your thing now. Because when you know what he's done for you and you really believe it and you know it in your heart what Jesus has done, the debt that he has canceled, it's like if you had to go, you were gonna lose your house because you couldn't make the payments and you went to the bank to try to beg them for mercy and they looked at you and said, no, I'm sorry, you gotta be out in 30 days. And your buddy shows up at the bank, hands them all the money for the house, pays your debt off and you're totally clear. And then you find out that your buddy, not only did he pay that off, it wasn't like he took it out of his reserves, he gave everything he had to pay that off for you. You'd be forever indebted to that guy. In fact, I want that guy to be my friend, right? That's exactly what Jesus did for you. He gave everything for you. He didn't just say, okay, here, here's 20 bucks to take care, to give this guy salvation. Here's 20 for this person. He gave everything all the way up to giving his actual life for you and me. And if you've had that revelation and you stepped into salvation, you stepped into new life with him, we cannot live a self-centered life because our life is his and you want it to be his. When I remember what he's done for me, it just compels me to want to say, Jesus, my life is yours, do whatever you want with it, Jesus. Because before you, I was dead. I was dead in my sins, I was dead in my trespasses. But now I'm alive in you. And that's what makes us want to live a selfless life. So I asked you the question earlier, are you a selfish Christian? What I wanna do is give you three characteristics what I think that are kind of, that jumped out at me as I was going through this of what a, a selfish Christian would look like, okay? And I know this is challenging, I know this is kind of a hard word, but I hope you guys know I love you and I, I'm, I, this isn't aimed at any one person, this is, aimed, this is for all of us, we need this. We need to be challenged in our faith all the time, to be pulled up, to be brought up, to be raising the bar in our life, in our spiritual life. Okay, so a selfish Christian would say that your faith is mostly about what God can do for you. If your faith today is mostly about what God can do for you, then you're most likely probably suffering and struggling with being a selfish Christian. You know, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I've said it many times, is in Galatians 5. The chapter of Galatians 5, the whole book of Galatians, it's about freedom. Freedom from bondage, right? And, G, and Paul says in Galatians 5.1, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. No longer to be subject to a yoke of slavery. And I, I've been in slavery. I've been in bondage to my sin and to my to my own mind, right, into religion. So I know what it's like to be in bondage. So the freedom that I experience in Christ is that, that much more beautiful. And so I love it. I love the freedom that we have in Jesus. It's such a beautiful thing. And we love the freedom. This is, it's the beginning of our faith. The only way to really step into salvation is to understand that he's setting you free from sin and from death, right? The problem is too often that, that beginning of our salvation becomes our middle and our end too. It's everything. We just want the freedom that Jesus gives us. And we wanna walk out that freedom. We're just thankful, thank God that I'm free from all of my past. Thank God that I'm free from sickness, that I'm free from uh, toxic relationships, that I'm free from financial trouble. Thank you, God, for all your blessings. Thank you for your freedom. And we love this freedom, right? That's something God did for us. 
But if you read, if you continue reading in Galatians 5, when you get down a little further, you start to see what he means when he says, when you're getting this freedom and what, it's, what is expected of you. So in Galatians 5, 13, he continues, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the, law, the whole law is fulfilled in this single command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying, hey, you're free. This is what freedom looks like. Love your neighbor. You're free from all those things, but it's not just so you can kick back and do whatever you want or just enjoy your freedom. You're free from living a selfish life into living a life of service to others. That's what freedom looks like. And if your faith is really just about what God can do for you and you just want to sit in the freedom and soak in that freedom hot tub that he wants to give you, then you're probably struggling with being a selfish Christian. Because the freedom we have is to, set, is to catapult us into serving one another. The Bible is very, very clear. Jesus actually died to set us free from the self-consumed life. I'll say it again. Jesus died to set us free from the self-consumed life. You might say, well, I thought Jesus died for our sins. He did. But he died for a lot of things. He died for our sins first and foremost to bring salvation. But he also died to set us free from being self-consumed. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 says that he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So he died for everybody so that we wouldn't have to live for ourselves anymore. But to live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Can somebody say amen? amen. Praise God. The old is gone, the new has come. And you know what? Most of us in this room probably knew that last verse. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we love it. And I love it. I love that verse. It's a beautiful verse. But if you look at it in context and you go back a couple verses where it says he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, what he's actually saying here, listen, the old is gone. The living for yourself is gone. The new creation lives for others, lives for Jesus, and also lives to serve others. So we cannot proclaim that the old is gone in our life and still live a selfish life. Because if you are a Christian today and you're living a selfish life, the old is not gone, church. You don't get to declare that. The old is still alive and well in you if you are living for yourself. In fact, the only, the only specific that Paul gives in this passage about the old being gone and the new coming is that we would no longer live for ourselves. That's the crux of what he's saying here. We want to say the old is gone. Yeah, the old man is gone. My old way of thinking is gone. The old relationships, they're gone. My old sins, they're gone. My past is gone. It's all gone. We love that and we just harp on that and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But it doesn't stop there. If the old is gone, so is the selfishness. So is the my life revolves around me and my family. The new coming is about not living for yourself. So it's not just about what your faith can do for you. It's about how you live out that faith in your life. All right, another characteristic is that you are cynical about God's faithfulness. You're cynical about God's faithfulness in your life. Do you struggle to believe that God is faithful all the time? 
I know you can't say yes to that in church. Not on a Sunday morning. In fact, we probably wouldn't say that out loud to people that are Christians or anybody for that matter because it sounds too unspiritual. It sounds too uh, contrary to what so many of the worship songs we sing, so much of what we say up here on the stage. But when someone up here on the stage says, man, God is faithful all the time, all the time, God is good, he's true, his word endures forever, he's always faithful, he's never let anybody down, and we cheer and we clap and we get excited about God, are you standing there thinking, man, these people are naive. He's just not, he hasn't always been faithful in my life. I can name this time, this time, all these times that I asked God for something and he didn't do it. So how can he be always faithful in my life if there's times that he has not done exactly what I've wanted in my life? You see, the selfish Christian is going to be focused on what God hasn't done for them. He's going to be focused on the, what, what didn't happen when they prayed for something or when they believed God for something. The, the, the self-centered, the one with selfish ambition is going to look at those and say, I can't possibly believe that God is always faithful because there's too, been too many times he hasn't come through for me. And here's the thing, you know the ones, that, the people that do believe that God is always faithful, that can declare it and actually believe it? They're not the ones that have had every prayer answered the way they want. That's not what determines whether or not you believe God is faithful. There's lots of prayers that I've prayed that God has not answered the way I wanted. Lots of them. I prayed that I would be six foot. He wasn't faithful in that. Lots of times that I have prayed and God, is, uh, God hasn't answered it the way I wanted. There's times I have declared the word over something and it hasn't happened the way I wanted in my time. So if your faith is about you and getting your prayers answered, then absolutely God has not been faithful to you all the time. But your faith isn't about you. Your faith is about him. And if our faith is about him, we understand that he's sovereign, that his ways are higher than ours, that his thoughts are so much higher than ours we can't even comprehend it. And so that tells me that whether or not he answers my prayer the way I want to has no bearing on whether or not he's faithful. That's how somebody can be in the middle of a tragedy and praise God for his faithfulness. Because my situations, my circumstances do not determine whether or not God is faithful. He's faithful in everything, in his way, in his time. And just because it doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean he's not faithful. And when you know him, you know that. And when you know that, you cannot be selfish in your faith because you know everything is for God's glory. Everything is for his, his glory. Everything is for him. Everything is to further his kingdom, his name, his greatness. And it's for my good too, but sometimes I can't even see the good in it until much later. Sometimes you don't see it in this life. The reality is he paid everything. He gave everything to save me and you. And he is always faithful. But if you are selfish, you're going to look at faithfulness with some cynicism and say, mm, I don't know. He hadn't done this. And I mean, there's, I mean, why, why was it, why would he not heal my mother? Why wouldn't he do that? It doesn't make sense to me. You're right. It doesn't make sense sometimes, but it doesn't change who he is. But if you're selfish in your faith, then it is going to affect you. It's going to frustrate you. It's going to make you upset that he's not doing what you want him to do. And just because we know about God doesn't mean we know his faithfulness. You know, you can know this whole word and not know the first thing about the faithfulness of God. The Pharisees were the most well-versed in the, the old covenant and in the law at the time of Jesus, and they didn't know the first thing about God's faithfulness. They didn't know the first thing about his, about his mercy and his grace. They didn't know anything about it. 
They literally witnessed his faithfulness. They witnessed miracles, and all it did was make them mad. So you can know about God and not know anything about his faithfulness. Because if you're selfish in your approach to your faith, you might know a lot. You might have half this book memorized, but you won't really know his faithfulness. Because it's not about knowing stuff. It's about a relationship with him. It's about knowing who I am outside of him and who I am inside of him. And knowing that there is no comparison. There is no comparison. There's no way I'd ever go back. And I hope that you wouldn't either. The sad thing is I think sometimes we, we can act like the Pharisees who had a respect for God. You know, the, the Pharisees respected God. They had a respect for the, word, for the, the old law and the, word, the law of Moses. They had respect, but they didn't really understand his faithfulness. And church, I think that, that happens to us sometimes where we don't necessarily believe that he's fully faithful, like that he always does everything that we need him to do or that, that he's maybe let us down, but we have enough respect for him that we'll come to church because, you know, eh, maybe something good will happen in my life. Can I tell you, God doesn't want your respect. He doesn't want your respect. He wants your life. He wants everything. He wants you to trust him. And when you trust him, when you give him your life and you put yourself in him, you you start to understand and realize and actually believe that he really is faithful in every situation. All right, third and finally, another characteristic is that you're half-hearted in your faith. If you're a selfish Christian, you are half-hearted in your faith. So we have to ask ourselves, am I half-hearted? Am I I one of those that kind of has a respect for God, that I'm kind of I'm in a little bit, but I'm not, I can't give him everything. We, we see what Jesus said, probably the harshest verse in all the Bible, frankly, in Revelation 3, where Jesus was talking about what he thinks of people that are half-hearted. In verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That is a harsh, harsh word from Jesus sharing his heart about what he thinks about us when we are half-hearted in our faith, where we're trying to ride the fence, where we're lukewarm, kind of wanting the blessings of faith, but not really wanting to give everything that we have and really just being selfish in our faith. You might think, well, what does that have to do with selfishness? Well, because anything that, if we know the word, we know about salvation, we know about Jesus, and we believe what he's done for us, and there's, there's parts that we're keeping from him, that's always going to be selfishness. That's the only explanation for it in our life. It's about me and not about him. And he actually goes on in the very next verse to tell us what that looks like. He says in verse 17, he says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. That is too often us, church. We wouldn't say it quite that harshly. We would say like, ah, my bills are paid. I got everything I need. Until something happens, then I'll ask him for what I need then. But for the most part, living in Western society, we are rich, we've acquired wealth, and we do not need a thing. But Jesus would tell us, actually, you don't get it because you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, spiritually. And we need him desperately in our life. And, you know, we can think that we struggle with selfishness and being half-hearted because our desires for the other things are just so strong right? That it's just pulling us away, that selfishness. The reality is, is that our desires are actually too weak. And that's why we're being pulled away. We're not passionate enough. We're just, we're content to just, to just deal with what's right in front of us. 
and to meet our, the instant gratification goals that we have and just living in the moment and not really thinking long-term, not really giving, giving much brain space to the long-term and, and the, the eternal aspect of our life, really. I love what C.S. Lewis said. Uh, I'm going to read what he had said about it. I don't think it's going to be on the screen, but I'm just listen to what he said many years ago. He said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, I mean, that rang so true to me when I read that this week. He compares us to ignorant children, a child sitting in a slum, making a mud pie, entertaining himself, and someone comes up and says, hey, let me pull you out of here and let me take you on a nice cruise. And you can see some of the most beautiful places in the world. And the kid sits there and says, nah, I'm good. That's us. It's not that our passions are just so strong for these other things, we're just so weak. We just can't really muster up the energy to really look long-term, to really give up what we're doing right now that's giving us a little bit of pleasure and give that up for some infinite joy that God wants to bring in our life. And I can tell you unequivocally, the only way to get that infinite joy, that joy unspeakable in our life is to live a life of selflessness, to live a life of serving others, to live a life where it's not just about us. And let me tell you, God has no problem with us taking care of us and ourselves. It just isn't meant to be all about us and ourselves. Church, there's no doubt that our society is more depressed and more miserable in, than it's ever been in my lifetime. Probably for many generations, actually. And, and if, you, if you look at the studies, the selfishness in our society is off the chart. And it's why. Because we're just not designed to be that way. And we kind of know it in our head. If you've been around church long enough, you've heard it preached on enough to know that like, if you really want to be depressed, just focus on yourself. You know, that really serving, we talk about even here at the church, like serving others, whether it's in the church or anywhere else, is where you find purpose because that's how God designed us. There's nothing better than being able to do something for someone and bring joy into their life. And we all know it. There's nothing better than giving a Christmas gift to a kid that enjoys the gift, right? We love their response and seeing the excitement. It's, it's more fun being a parent watching your kids open gifts than it was when you were an actual kid opening the gifts because it's just so much fun to bring that joy into a kid's life. And we know it, and we know that that's God's plan for us, yet we just can't help ourselves sometimes to just sit in the mud and make mud pies when God is saying there's so much more. There's so much more. And I, hope, I pray that you'll take this challenge today and let God stir your heart and challenge you to live a life of selflessness. Would you stand with me, please? I'm gonna pray for us this morning. And I just encourage you to respond. You can come to the altar if you like. I know we all need prayer for this, so I'm gonna pray for all of us. If, you're, if you stay in your seats, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and just ask the Lord in this moment, Lord, would you show me where in my heart I've been selfish. And let him speak to your heart. We're not in a hurry. We're just gonna take a few minutes.
Lord, would you show us today where we have made our life about ourselves? God, I thank you first and foremost that there's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. Lord, you did not come to condemn the world, but that through your sacrifice, the world might be saved. But Lord, we do know that you bring conviction. God, would you convict our hearts this morning? Lord, where we have, where we have made it about ourselves, Lord, we repent today. We turn away from being self-consumed, from having selfish ambitions and allowing the enemy to have a foothold in our life. Lord, we thank you that when we repent and when we ask forgiveness, that you are faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us. The enemy has no place in our life when we are free. Lord, set us free from selfishness. We know you've done the work, Lord. Would you do the work in our hearts to set us free? God, help us to see that this life is about so much more than sitting in the mud making mud pies, but it is about infinite joy. It is about living for you and serving others. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to believe it where we have wanted to, where we don't really want to. We just wanna do our thing and kind of be left alone. God, just convict our hearts in whatever area that might be for each one of us, Lord. Draw us closer to you, Jesus. We wanna be more like you. We know we're all under construction and you're building our faith. Lord, we wanna respond in such a way that honors you and glorifies you in your kingdom, but it's also for our good. God, we give ourselves to you today, wholly and completely. Glorify your name through our lives, Lord. Glorify your name. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done in our lives, just like it is in heaven. We praise your name, Jesus. Be, be glorified in this place and in our lives, Lord. We honor you today. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's praise God one more time. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Church, he is always calling us higher, always. Not to a higher level of religiosity or self-righteousness, but just the higher the standard of following him. The more we live for him, the more we love him, the more we serve him, the more he brings us up. I, I, I think I can safely say that those in here that have been following Jesus wholeheartedly for 30, 40, 50 years are probably more selfless than the rest of us. Because as you grow in your faith in him, he makes you more like him. We are being transformed into his likeness. So he works those things out of our life. So don't give up. Fight the good fight. It's worth it. Amen? Praise God.